0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Um, uh, Thank you very much for uh, for being here. Um, This is really an extraordinary event, uh, partly, mostly, because of uh, everyone who's sitting to my right. But uh, this is the upbeat to uh, an astonishing series of performances on on the Coliseum stage in very many ways. Partly the uniqueness of what the project is in staging Benjamin Britten's War Requiem, uh, but also uh, the, the specialness of the whatever the word is, the commemoration, or wherever we are 100 years on, for 1918, there are a lot of things that come together in, in these performances, and it's gonna be fascinating to hear from everyone here uh, how they feel about it and what the thinking behind this production at this moment in time is. But before we, actually before, before we hear D- David, who's very kindly gonna sing, I'd just like everyone just to introduce themselves, partly so that I can remember, no, so that we can all remember. <laughs> <clears throat> everyone's name and what they do. So let's start, I think, I mean, Martin, um, is it? I'm Martin
1: Brabens, yeah, I'm, music, I'm conducting the War Requiem, which is a great ple- pleasure and privilege.
2: I'm Wolfgang Tillmans, uh, and I'm the set designer.
3: I'm Jane Mitchmore, and I'm responsible for the video-making network here.
4: I'm Sarah Hamza, and I'm the costume supervisor.
3: I'm Anne Yee,
5: I'm doing choreography and movement.
6: I'm Rebecca Stockland, and I'm a member of the ENO Chorus.
5: I'm Claire Wicks, and I'm the principal flute.
6: And I'm David
7: Butt-Phillip, and I am the tenor soloist.
2: A round of applause for the please.
8: <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, <laughs> It was almost the entire company. <laughs>
8: exactly, exactly. Well, the, the, people missing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it's the most,
2: I mean, the chorus, my God, it's
0: the whole Porgy chorus and the Eno chorus, astonishing. Well, it's all coming, this is, you're going to get insights into all this, but David, should we start? Uh, Martin Fitzpatrick is, is at the piano. Uh, just, 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 can you just tell us exactly what you're going to sing? It's the, it's the first tenor solo sure. in the War Requiem, yeah, isn't it?
7: Um, uh... Would you want to do it? No, no, no. You don't no, have fine. to do it. Don't no, do it. No, go. Um, on, sing. I, been, Anthem uh, for a doomed youth. I've been asked to, to do a bit of the war requiem, um, which doesn't really work out of context. <laughs> um, but this is the one. Uh, the one solo number in in a way that can be taken out of context because it doesn't involve anyone else. Um, so this is the first uh, tenor solo from the War Equiem, What passing bells for these who die like cattle? Anthem for a doomed youth.
0: Uh, thank you, Martin. Thank you, David. Uh, it's a it's a revelation hearing that music. So in I mean, isn't that amazing to hear that, that voice in this context? And it's the shattering part of it. Now, for those of you who've heard the piece, that's the first time we hear the chamber orchestra in the in the. Uh, in the War when one of the dialectics, one of the things that's going on in this piece, the, the drama between the full orchestra and the chamber orchestra who are going to surround Martin Brabens in the pit. So there's all kinds of dramas already written into this music. But I mean, it, it, uh, anyway, it's shattering that, David. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, however, I want to ask, we start at that end with uh, Martin and Wolfgang, because really a, a, a simple question, I think, that p- perhaps might be on everyone's minds. <laughs> Which is uh, why, uh, why you know why stage uh, Benjamin Britten's War Requiem given the already given the imminent theatricality of the piece as a concert experience, or perhaps uh, some people might feel even a uh, you know atheist spiritual experience in some way already. So so uh, why we'll come on to the how as well, but why stage Benjamin Britten's War Requiem, uh, Martin Wolfgang. It's a good question.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, and- Perhaps one of the answers is why not? Yeah. We could, you could stage anything. I mean, one of the pieces I did here, in not too distant past, was "Child of Our Time," another oratorio, and there are countless non-staged versions of operas, concert versions of operas. So we, you can do anything to anything these days. I mean, the the the, the challenge with the War Requiem is that it. As you mentioned, Tom, it is incredibly, inherently dramatic with just the way it's put together. So we have a chamber orchestra and a baritone and a tenor with Wilfred Owen. We have a large orchestra with the chorus and a soprano singing the Latin, or the, the, Latin the requiem mass for the dead. And we have an offstage children's choir with its own little uh, chamber organ. So just the, the kind of colors and the, the drama is inherently there. In addition to that, and you kind of hear, when David's t- singing about bugles, you can hear bam, bim, bam, bam, You hear all this. It's so pictorial, the music. So the, the challenge is to enhance that. And that's been our task. And Daniel, from the very first day he spoke about this piece, and I think with Wolfgang too, we knew that was our that was our challenge, to actually enhance what's already an incredible
2: masterpiece, and and not overload it. <laughs> if I can exactly pick up, pick up at this point, because it was clear to me that um, you know it is held as a national treasure. Uh, people love it dearly. Um, it. Has evoked, or it's had, it has evoked images in lots, and lots of people's minds um, over the decades, and um, and so we don't want to suddenly put images and storylines into everything, and so the, um, for myself, um, I um, I don't constantly produce imagery. Um, I wanted to use new technology. Um, we use um, these incredible seven and a half meters tall LED screens, so there's pictures uh, uh, not projected, but actually uh, radiating from these walls. Oh, that's amazing. It's seven and a half meters. Yes. Okay. It's a
0: gigantic screen, so and that, and that creates a completely different uh, quality of image uh, for us in the audience, and also allows you to do allows Daniel on stage to do different things because you're not having to deal with the light that's being you know projected onto it.
2: Yes. Um, And at the same time, they are sculptural elements. But I didn't want to use them to bombard the audience with imagery, Uh, but there are um, certain images that are held there for six minutes. Um, It's not all the time like downloading, 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 and uh, so I think uh, there are a few moments that are very dynamic and uh, um, Jane is uh, helping making that all possible because we're feeding, we're having also a 19 meters wide uh, back projection and then also a front projection. So there is a lot of coordination of uh, data, but um, it's not only images that uh, Jane, do. you know, yeah. how'd you do it? <laughs>
3: <laughs> Debatable. Um, I'm in fit up today. So this is the first day that all the LED arrived so I've, I'm still mid-it now, hence the helmet hair and you know all the <laughs> PPE. But building 7.5 metres of screen, obviously, is ridiculously big and ridiculously tall. So we're having to motor it up, stack build it, then fix the back onto it. And these things are obviously very heavy and are very wanting to move and fall over, basically. They're very top-loaded. So there has to be big ballast at the back for these trucks to actually move around. And then, of course, you've got all the cabling mm-hmm. and making each one of these trucks actually work individually. So they're very big. You suddenly realise that today. I was like, right, OK, here we go. <laughs> One's done and we've got another two to go, right. <laughs> I mean,
0: the, the, the musicians, actually, the way this has worked out, we've got... Musicians. Well, actually, well, Martin's a musician Martin, too. To be yeah. fair, <laughs> I mean some some <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: conductors do, do count, don't count. Do count, count up to you. Yeah. Uh, but the, anyway, we have you know there's you know production music. Uh, just uh, I want to hear about the choreography and costumes shortly. But it's just given that the musicians, um, one of them was there for the complete run. Rebecca was there. Uh, here a bit earlier, uh, but j- just your feeling about uh, well, what Wolfgang and Martin, uh, what's just been said about the idea of interpretation? Or how how uh, you all must have a relationship with this piece before you came into the rehearsal room, and I'm sure you probably asked similar questions. Okay, why do it? And then, what's it going to be? How's it going to look like? How's sure. it going to feel?
7: Yeah, I mean, almost, almost exactly what Martin and Wolfgang said, and the, as as you said, the first thing that was met, that occurred to me when the idea of of doing this project was mooted was um, it, it is obviously such a dramatic piece for an oratory for a piece that's not designed to be staged it's incredibly dramatic it's been staged before in Europe at least twice not, not in this country but with relative success and you can immediately see The possibilities as martin said with the contrast between the chamber orchestra the main orchestra the tenor and baritone solos singing in english the choir and the and the soprano singing in latin there's there is so much dynamic tension and drama in it but at the same time my exactly as wolfgang said my first thought was oh god please be careful (laughs) because you know i grew up with this piece um like a lot of people in this country and it it's so delicate and so sensitive and the subject matter itself is, is delicate and sensitive as well. Um, the last thing any of us wants is to get in the way of mm-hmm. this incredible masterpiece and, and these incredible poems and this incredible music.
0: But uh, Wolfgang used the word icon. I mean, icons can be dangerous things, i.e. if we take them for granted, they sure. can be a bit static in our culture. <coughs> I mean, and, and actually, this, this piece has perhaps a peculiar iconography around it, yeah, not absolutely. just the way it sounds, but the way it looks like. Maybe you bought that Decca box set. You remember it? The... the War Requiem, yep. all black... I mean, just the idea yeah. of it was quite controversial yeah, in the first yeah. absolutely. place. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, precisely. But then, but physically, the piece actually has a... a I think for those of us of a certain age, remember LPs? They bought them. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it was, you know, it was the... If you had a piece by a living... <laughs> You know a 20th century composer it probably was benjamin Britten's war requiem it sold more copies than anything else by living composers i think and uh it physically had this sort of heft of a mm. of a monument mm. and in a way part of what this is doing i guess is asking different questions about what the monument of benjamin britain's war requiem might be uh, rebecca claire your experiences of, it, of the piece
5: i mean that's an interesting thing thank you um there has become such an established thing and it's slightly ironic given the message that Britain was initially trying to put across mm. was exactly the opposite of that. I mean, very much anti-establishment, very obviously pacifist. He was a conscientious objector. And, um, and what he was actually trying to do was take this Latin mass, take everything that surrounded it, the ritual, um, the almost stereotypical religious sentiments that were very regimented and completely slice through them with these incredibly meaningful and very, very touching Wilfred Owen texts. And um, for me, I'm playing in the chamber orchestra, um, which only accompanies these uh, the tenor and the baritone and the Wilfred Owen poems. And I'm so excited. I've, I've done the piece before, but I've never been in the chamber orchestra. And for me, that's the real crux of where this work gets its power. Because... We have the, um, the very solemn requiem maternum at the beginning. You know, he really sets up this with the boys' choir, the, um, the, this very grandiose style of writing, which is actually not completely typical of Britain. And then suddenly, what passing bells for mm. these who die as cattle? Just cuts across it with this chamber orchestra orchestration it's 12 players it's almost exactly what he's what britain's worked with a lot of times in the past Mm. um we've just done turn of the screw last summer and it's almost exactly that um instrumentation the chamber orchestra and suddenly you feel he's comfortable to do exactly what he wants with the instruments so the instrumentation just sparkles it tells the entire story you know, in I mean, just in the extract you just sang, yeah, the um, shrill, demented choirs of wailing shells, and me and the clarinet go right up yeah. into the top register, have these dissonant harmonies. They're
7: sort of deliberately grotesque and, and stark and brutal yeah. and nasty and jarring to the ear, yeah. as opposed to these sort of lush, um, sort of church-like. Yeah. Um, harmonies that you've had before,
5: exactly, and um, and you almost get this cackling laughter from mm. the chamber yeah, orchestra. Yeah. I mean, especially in uh, the next war, yeah, when um, when it's got this very demented humour to it, of uh, you know the imagery of the soldiers laughing with death and sitting down for a meal with him. And we have these almost laughter-like rhythms in the orchestra and very harsh sounds. There's double reeds, there's hand-stopped horns, there's shrieking piccolo, and it's just all so vibrant in a way that if you take other masses, which are undoubtedly masterpieces, you know, Mozart and Verdi, and they're, they're grand icons, like we were saying. But then Britain just brings it down to earth. Mm. And he, he forces the audience to relate to individuals. He forces them to, to hear what it's like to be in the trenches. Mm. Thank you. Thank you, put. um Rebecca.
6: I, I, I was, uh, as David said, I was, uh, I have to say, a little sceptical when I saw that we were going to be doing a production of this hugely personally iconic piece to me. I mean, it was the first my first professional gig was singing in the chorus of War Requiem with a star-studded cast, Simon Rattle, CBSO, Philip Langridge, Alistair Miles, Cheryl Parker. And, I mean, just now thinking about that experience, I have goosebumps. So I was thinking, this isn't going to work. It's not going (laughs) to work. But what's been so extraordinary for me was taking apart the meaning of the Requiem mass and what it means to an individual, and we've been encouraged by Anne and by Daniel um, to bring our own personal voyage. And it can be anything, it could be a divorce, it could be the death of your granny or your favorite pet, whatever, but just to expand on the word war in whatever way you like, but through the words of the Requiem Mass. And yesterday, it just sort of came to a pinnacle for me when we had our Zitzprobe with the fantastic uh, full orchestra. And it was extraordinary. I mean, it was... Wasn't it, Martin?
1: I had a great time. <laughs> 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 and,
6: and so, for me, um, it it has been a real journey and a very a difficult one because I... I started on the back foot, but um, I think it's going to be something not to miss.
0: Thank you, Rebecca, and uh, thank you. Um, and Sarah, just taking up exactly from what Rebecca said, your challenges in working, especially, well, with, with what they're wearing and, 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 and with how they're moving, especially with this huge volume of, of, of persona, whatever the plural of persona is on, on stage. But I mean, this is an enormous crew of people to be moving around and then to, to to do all the things that, uh, that you've all just been saying, these things between individual experience and huge collective grief, how, how do you navigate all that in terms of what we're going to see, how they're going to move, and how they're going to look?
8: With care. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a microphone. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I don't come from the same pedigree as the majority of the people up here. I, I had never heard of War Requiem until Daniel called me up. Um, And I think coming to it without that information that everybody here has, has been my own kind of gift of 2018, to the discovery of this material. And I think you said something very important about icons potentially becoming stagnant. I think that, as Martin said, you can always see a non-staged version of this. You can you can go anywhere in the world probably at this point and see it, and as you guys can tell, I'm American, um, though I've lived here for quite some time, and so I go between the two countries. As does Wolfgang; he goes between two countries as well. And the relevance of a piece of work like this, um, it, I think it's now it's now beyond its original iconic status, and it's something like. Rebecca was saying, that when we bring our personal stories, our personal meanings, to work that's been around for a while, it becomes a new thing. Mm -hmm. So however many times David's done War War Requiem, he will only do this version now. Mm -hmm. And it will have this meaning now. And same for Martin, because I'm sure Martin will go on to explore this again and again and again. So one, to, to go back to your original question, the power of 80 bodies on stage, the power of 48 children on stage mixing with these bodies, um, the simplest act becomes amazing. So you might be used to watching dancers do extraordinary feats of virtuosity or watching acrobats or circus or whatever. Just watching 80 people do a repetitive action carries so much meaning. Watching 48 children interrupt 80 people around the so, and then the solo figure of a baritone. Mm-hmm. Again, you, like you said, you will not see that again. It, it is an unmissable event because it will, it will do what I think art and creativity is meant to do. It will make you ask questions, look at yourself, look at the world. And then once you have that experience, you go out to the world with that new experience. So that goes back to what Martin said, why not? Why not stage it? So regarding, and, and, and one more thing to add, is that the, the individuals, and this is something you'll probably go on to as well with the costuming, yeah. war is not something that exists in one place. And pacifism is not something that exists in one place. These are constant conversations for all of our cultures and all of our lives. And so being able to individualize it, um, so those 80 people might do a unison action, but they are 80 individuals representing thousands of lifetimes, um, decades, loss, and grief, and the hope for a better option, a better choice. Um, and yeah, I might have gotten off topic, but that's what's exciting about this. Thank you. Thank
4: you. <laughs> I mean, that's, a, that's definitely a, a wonderful introduction for the costumes because that was the way that we were um, introducing our ideas to it. Um, so working with Nassim Azar, who is the costume designer, um, every time someone came into a fitting, we definitely said we wanted this to be um, neutral, to be representative of all cultures and all ages and all people who could be affected by war. So you'd be sitting in the audience and not thinking about any kind of time-specific era, but you, you might sort of get glimpses of different um, periods and, and different people and be able to relate to different things that's happening on stage, but not be sort of stuck in, in a certain um, design aesthetic. Um, and he came up with some really beautiful colors to, to represent all the different groups of people who are on stage. And we've got a couple of um, samples that are on the table. Thank you, Wolfgang. Um, so these the children. And then fabric of And i on
0: my desk, but So Greens and reds and blues then sir. so far different textures as well. The best for our supplier, in
4: order to introduce different textures for our principal lady, and we well. introduced different examples of, thank you, of um, pleating. And we actually went with a tree bark pleat, so I'll leave that to her.
8: Mm-hmm. And just to have a lovely texture and, and a
4: different sort of way to pick up the colors on the stage as well. Um, so when we were looking at all these different colours and textures because Nasser's from a fashion background um, and I was saying earlier we actually got him to stand on the other side of the road in front of the building and I would, hand, I would hang different pieces from my office window and sort of yell out across the road can you see this, this is the distance from the first row of seating to where you'd see them on the stage you can't see it, okay well, we need to do some work so um, yeah and no, it was a really great process to work with him
0: that's, that's wonderful, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you. And also, you, you mentioned the tree bark, and the, the tree I'm sure you've seen is part of the, the, the imagery of, of the production for all of us who, you know, for the, the marketing wise. Um, Wolfgang, is that, that that's one of your images, the, the, the tree? No? Yes? No, yes. It's yeah. um, I, I just, just, just picking up directly on the, this idea because the decisions you've all just described, I mean, you're all, as musicians and as, as choreographers and, uh, and designers, you're, you are making decisions. And Wolfgang, you said you, you, you obviously you don't want to limit us. As, as an audience, in the range of our potential responses, but of course, you know, you are, must be choosing a particular reservoir of, of imagery for this piece, you know, that works here and, and not for something else. So, what, what are, are there specific stories or specific wells of imagery that you're drawing on for for this production?
2: Um, I mean, it varies from uh, pictures of natural beauty um, and also the might of nature, the destructive might of nature. Um, the poster image um, is uh, from a hurricane um, in, near, near Essen in the Ruhr, um, where you know trees over 100 years old were ripped apart uh, in seconds, in minutes, and uh, and that is, um, of course, what war can do as well. You know? That uh, something that has grown for decades and decades and hundreds of years be destroyed, um, and um, and at the same time it is. Like an open image, like this, these trees, this destruction, um, and um, or for example, um, on the other end of the spectrum, I didn't just want to show beauty or symbolic destruction. Um, we open up with um, um, a sort of um, kind of with an, with a book, with a book from 1927 called "War Against War." Um, and it um, shows the real face of war, of the First World War, with often on the left-hand side pictures of glorious uh, soldiers before they went to uh, battle, and then the reality that met them a few days later. And um, it's been an incredibly powerful book, uh, published in many, many countries around the world, and, uh, and we felt it is essential to um, yeah, show the naked facts of. War that today um, you know today we are shown war as a video game no? as a little sort of drone picture um, so but i don 't want to scare you they <laughs> are there are, um, um, there are uh, yes, and then there is also um, a scene that is very sculptural there 's a seven by five meters uh, almost three meters tall. Uh, semi abstract uh, sculpture coming onto stage which is um, sort of uh, a form that i didn't want to completely invent uh, so I derived it from a root and, um, and um, it somehow stands for material of the earth it almost has a molten feel and um, and in that scene um, I don 't know are we supposed to be so revealing. <laughs> yes, it's okay. We're I th- think it's fine. We'll <laughs> <inside laughs> <out. laughs> um, um, Don't the... give the ending away. Okay. Yeah. <laughs>
7: they all live happily ever after. <laughs> <laughs>
2: there, um, in that scene, um, the eighty people of the chorus, singers of the chorus, will carry on, will pass on rubble onto the stage as if they're clearing off sites. Um, and of course, I'm sure you all know the famous pictures, post-war pictures of um, the population, often the women carrying the rubble in passing lines. And so um, there'll be this pile of uh, mangled material of the earth that man that man destroyed, um, and it'll create this equivalence of this abstract natural form and this uh, uh, debris. Um, so, the, um, yeah, it includes a lot of...
0: Um, uh, th- thank you. No, I, uh, Marta, just, I mean, does this, you know, this is a piece you've... Uh, t- tell us, uh, you, the the, the, ki- see, the kinds of context that you've already performed this yeah. piece in are, again, again just, just into, I mean, this is the thing about this piece, whatever the, the, the nature of the meanings that, of course, are going to be opened up by this production, it tends to be one of those pieces that is done in places and at moments mm. of great significance, and you, you've... The
2: you've first, time I, the
1: first <laughs> time I conducted it was in Glasgow, in 95 or something, and it was in a disused Harland and Wolf shipyard. <laughs> so where they used to build warships on the Clyde. That was the first one. Um, then I've done it several times since in conventional settings, but the last two which were quite significant were one was in Moscow on the anniversary, I can't remember which number, 70 perhaps of the end of hostilities, because we all know in, uh, in the, sec- the Second World War, in, end of hostilities in the Second World War. Because, as we all know, Russia had a shockingly dreadful war. And um, then the last one I did was in Cologne. I think it was in 2015. And that was on the... Again, I can't remember the number, but it was on the very... It was the anniversary of the very day that Coventry Cathedral was bombed. And Cologne Cologne Cathedral, of course, survived beautifully intact. And as it happened, that performance was on the night of the Bataclan Massacre in Paris. So the very, we did another one the next day in Cologne, and it was incredibly touching. We had a German baritone and an English tenor, Andrew Staples. And a text, we came up with a text to re- read in English and German. The, the two of them read uh, paragraphs to the audience about the futility of war and so on. My great, if I just add one tiny personal note, I was rushing for the train after the last night of Zalame, and I left my, my score of that, that score of the War Requiem I left in a taxi. So I really feel bereft, and it's still not turned up. I, I can't imagine what anyone would do with that score, because it had my name in it, it's clearly mine. Um, but, yeah, so I'm, yeah, I'm very, the piece, when you perform this piece, it is it devastatingly, powerful at the end particularly the whole last 20 minutes of the pieces so it always has this incredibly personal effect and when you you know I've conducted from that score it's a very personal thing to to not have it with me but uh, uh, I'm still hopeful that uh, Lost Property will, will return it so yeah it's one of those pieces that it, it's unforgettable and actually the run this afternoon I was in happily admit, there were a couple of moments when I almost always well up, and uh, it happened again today, so, and that's just in the studio run, so goodness knows what's going to happen on the, in the performances.
0: It's just, I mean, it, the, the, the premiere in, in 1962, of course, meant so much as a, as, a, as a worldwide event for Coventry, particularly Galina Vishnevsky, who couldn't come, but that was the idea that there should be a, a German singer and a, a British singer and a, and a Russian singer, had the Harper in the end was the soprano. I, I just want to, it's kind of a question for all of you, really. Um, it's the sense about what, how the piece has gone on accruing the I mean, Martin, you've alluded to this, the, the, the way it goes on accruing meanings, that, and what the, of course, the essential message, this, uh, you know, the, the quotation at the, at the start, the Wilfred Owen quotation at the start of the score, my subject is the war and the pity of war, and what can a poet do, what, I apologies for paraphrasing, but a poet can only warn, I mean, essentially, the, the, this is what The essence of the war requiem is but I just wonder how you all feel about it today in the context of the production and how and what it speaks to particularly in the you know the rest of the world I mean that that message that essential message goes on being ever more urgent for all the reasons that we know but I just wonder if there are special things that sort of jump out at you particularly you know in 2018 with the piece
1: and one of the things that we haven't talked about that I am finding incredibly moving uh is the combination of our chorus
0: Uh, Yes, with the
1: Porgy and Bess Chorus. So we have this incredible joint venture, if you like, of 80 wonderful individual singers, and the sound they make is just... I mean, it must be wonderful to be inside it, Rebecca, but from outside, (laughs) it's it's absolutely (laughs) astonishing. And it's a wonderful symbol of how we actually ought to live our lives, isn't it? That we should actually come together and do what we really, what humans really ought to be doing. Not all this dreadful stuff that we are commemorating, but we are commemorating it and it has to be done. And yeah, it's. I find that the, 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 the collaboras- collaboration of those two groups and the children, which has been a joy to have all these
2: wonderful young people in the room.
0: For, so... 48 uh, children,
2: is that right? 48? Yeah. I mean, it makes it makes us uh, genuinely colorblind yeah. in a good way. You know, it's like really, these are humans. You know, there's a, the soprano has a child. It happens to be a child of black, black skin. But everybody, I think, will understand, no, this is a human. This is her, this is her child. Um, and that's very powerful. And, and uh, it feels supernatural. Right? It doesn't feel like, oh, this is playing off each other. Against each other, it's totally. That is the world. That is humanity. Mm. Rebecca, I mean, singing, yeah,
0: I that, <laughs> singing um, in the chorus.
6: I, I think for, it, it's it is very interesting, as Martin has uh, alluded to the sort of the joining together of forces. I mean, it is an incredibly powerful sound world that's been created, uh, but also, in a way, for me. I'm speaking completely personally, it's brought it right up to the here and now, and that's partly Anne and Daniel's direction in, in as I said earlier, of, of us all bringing our own personal story and reference to war in whatever context or description you want. But it's, and we have been partnered uh, with uh, the Porgy chorus, so one ENO, one Porgy, and it's been, an extraordinary collaboration, something I have never experienced before. And I, I you know, I've worked all over the place and with greater numbers than this, but it's been a very um, unique experience. But a, a real bringing together of so many people with so many different stories, and yet all singing about one thing, which is how futile war is, and an honouring. Benjamin Britten as a conscientious objector as a pacifist, and you know what greater hope could there be than to have peace and it's, and that's not meant as a sort of a whitewash statement <laughs> at all I, I think that's something at the heart of everybody and in and this production has really brought it together but also Wolfgang's images I mean they are amazingly beautiful but and and have their own message, but they augment what's being done in the music with these particular forces in the pit everywhere Jane with her with the video screens etc. I mean it it is it is an extraordinary experience, something I have never experienced before.
5: From a personal point of view, I think this piece more than anything more than any individual message that he could get across and I think there are a lot of very specific messages in it but um, for me, encourages reflection. And especially in the orchestra, um, no one plays the whole time because we have these two groups. So we have a lot of time for reflection. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it's interesting hearing what you say about working with the Porgy and Bess chorus. And I mean, you mentioned the word colourblind. But in a way, it brings in focus for me how more and more we're moving into a society which becomes ever less tolerant um, in certain ways, you know, we can see extremist groups gaining power in a lot of uh, societies which we would hope had gone further than that. And it it brings into focus a really important thing to reflect on. Um, for me in this particular production, I mean, we're yet to begin in many ways, but um, that actually, are we moving towards this? Are, you know, are we fulfilling this vision that Britain may have had? back in the 1960s, are we living these hopes that he had or are we actually moving further away?
0: And I wonder, because that, that, that's, I mean, that ambiguity is in the music too. I mean, again, to, 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 to reduce it, to, not to reduce it, but to think about messages for peace, of course all that's there, but you know, you, the ending of the piece, without thinking about how it's staged, you know, this is not ending with a kind of "all men should be" um, um, you know, thinking in the Beethovenian Schiller sense. You know, it, it's not kind of "ein Traum eine, eine It's not, you know, it's not a dream. It's not giving you a vision of that world redeemed. It's just the opposite. It ends precisely in the blackness and the ambiguity with which it, with which it starts. So, I mean, the the, the piece is a question, and you mentioned yeah. the grotesquery of the musical image. It absolutely is. I mean, it's yeah. violent and disturbing and disturbed, and we end up you know, shocked, moved, of course, but it's it's not giving us, you know, in the audience or any of you as a production team, you know, simple answers, actually, about, well, how do we do this?
5: And it's uncomfortable. Mm. And it's uncomfortable to play. I don't know what it's like to sing. Um, but certainly, um, there's moments in the orchestra. Um, the one we were rehearsing uh, on Tuesday, it's the end of Futility, um, and it's a very, very still setting, Um for the, the words, um, forgive me if I get this wrong, uh, the what made fatuous sunbeams mm-hmm. toil to break earth's sleep at all. And we have this bassoon note, which is right at the top. Yeah. And we were talking about this in rehearsal. It's incredibly high in the bassoon's range and it's a sustained C. And I mean, as you were saying on the, on the flute, it would be completely fine. It would be very, very comfortable. But it needs to be piano. It's really just a moment of stillness. And for the bassoon to play it, it is uncomfortable. It's difficult for them. It's hard to reach. Um, Our bassoonist, who's fantastic, but he was saying he actually has a separate bassoon crook, which he uses for that note. And he said, that's the second time that I've used that uh, in my life. £900 well spent. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I think it's supposed to be uncomfortable. Sure, and,
0: and therefore we're supposed to, you know, absolutely. That must be the point. We want to hear the bassoonist's fragility. I mean, we want and that. At that, that,
7: that exact moment in the tenor solo over the top, he reasserts the tritone on which the whole piece is based, mm-hmm. The a very
0: dissonant interval in the scale, which the whole piece is, is, is yeah, about. Yeah, the
7: whole piece is based on, the, on on this one interval, which is the the most jarring interval that there is. The devil
0: in music, as it was called in the medieval time.
7: Um, and the, the, that really is the crux of the whole piece, is is the um, the uncomfortable uh, nature of of that interval. Um, and, and that's exactly why the bassoon part is written the way it is.
0: Do, do, do we end up with a question? I mean, do, how, do, how do you reflect and deal with that ambiguity, you know, for, in terms of what we see? Is, it, is that the way you think about it, too?
8: <laughs> um, I, I, think, I think out of everything that I'm really loving what you're saying about the difficulty of that note placed in the bassoon versus somewhere it would, where it would have been much easier um, what we're asking of these, of everybody on stage, David, um, Roddy Emma, all of the chorus, of their physicality of understanding the extremes of the situation um, the extremes, we have this, um, we have this moment without giving too much away, where you will see parents... We have actually a motif where you will see parents reaching for children in a variety of ways. Sometimes it's gentle as if it's a memory of a child. Sometimes it's desperate as if they... Frantic as if they must find them. And those aren't easy things to do with your body. They're not easy. They're not having that many people on stage in that amount of space in the arena of of these screens is not easy. And I think hearing what everybody here who is so much smarter than me about music, which I love um, and I'm very grateful for, is reminding me that that I think possibly what I'm learning from the War Requiem is it's telling us that we aren't finished, that we have a lot of work left to do. And as much as I'm thrilled that we are mixing two choruses, um, the, re- the representation of mixing two choruses is just the beginning it's just the beginning it's it's the best gesture we could make at this time but on our creative team we're desperately lacking in representation Mm. you know in the audience we're desperately lacking in representation and i think that that in making i I i i just feel like britain is teaching me about through the music about all the complications and and, and where where strengths lie and where weaknesses are and what happens when you shift them around and what happens when you, you put these cords out there and then you make that happen and then you go on to this next thing, which is extraordinarily beautiful. And like Martin says, I've been in near tears many times. So I guess that's, that's my response to that, Sarah.
4: Um, I think it's really great that we've got so many children involved with the production. Um, because they are the generation who are going to change anything. Um, and I think it's, it's really great for them to sort of have their responses and, and for them to have their expressions and, and, you know, like what Rebecca was saying about having your, your own sort of personal touch to, your, to the drama that's on stage. They're able to have their own um, expression relayed on stage as well, which I think is really important for them to understand what's going on, Um, and to also be represented on stage Mm. and for them to understand what the story is about and understand what current affairs are going on and for them to have an opinion. Um, Because I think the only way that you can garner your own opinion is if you just sort of absorb everything. Um, So I think it's really great that we have so many young people involved.
0: Thank you. Just a final question for Jane and Wolfgang before we open it up to, to, to you all for about 10 minutes or so. It's, I, I read in, in a document that was sent to me around specific things around video games and Wikipedia and the idea that there could be those quite direct contemporary references that, of course, younger generations and all of us will, will understand. Uh, do you want to say anything about that? You don't have to, of course, either of you, but I'm, I'm sure that may present certain technical challenges for Jane and it, obviously it's part of your creative vision, Wolfgang. Mm.
2: I mean, there were thoughts of bringing actual imagery, like I mentioned earlier, this drone-like, video game-like equation, uh, how children's play ultimately looks the same as a drone shooting in Iraq. Um, but then um, we cut that and it is only it is only there in the form of a, a child playing a Nintendo war game. Um, And it was very important to us to have the production not located in one period of time. Um, And so when also discussing the costumes, um, it really is a, there there are aprons, there could be a blacksmith 100 years ago, there's a boiler suit that could be on a Spitfire um, airfield uh, refueling, Um, but there are hoodies as well that are worn today. Um, And, uh, but what I wanted to say for me, quintessential uh, words are it was you, the enemy, I killed my friend, mm. yeah. you know like this um this um you know we don't know um what um you know if we all can be can afford to be pacifist, you know like i don't know like i think uh, i of course like from my point of view as a german um you know I'm grateful that there was a bit of violence used to get rid of um the third reich um but i think um, what i can wholeheartedly say is i'm anti-militarist and and i think maybe we are all joined in that um there's the sort of it, war is always tragedy um you know and 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 this sort of that hey when the two are there and they're saying we could be friends but i killed you you know, we are so the same here in Europe and on the world on this planet.: That,
0: that opens up a whole suite of other questions. I'm going to let the audience <laughs> let, <laughs> let, the, let the audience ask them, because that's a fascinating potential. I don't mean a disagreement, but at least a, some kind of dialogue <coughs> with the context of Britain's pacifism and what that meant then, and, and what, it, what it might mean or not mean now. Um, ladies and gentlemen, the floor is yours. and there's a microphone behind you. I'd ask that you wait for that to appear. Um, that was, it was, were, you on, were you asking a question, madam?: No. No, I'm sorry. It was just like an auctioneer. You moved your left hand. I apologise. It's mm. <laughs> like <laughs> so a glass of wine, glass of wine, I much more important. I apologise. Uh, there we are. a question Thank you, sir. Uh, thank <laughs> you very much. We're, we're, we're plenty coming to a very time-specific centenary um, for a very specific uh, war. And uh, you're presenting a piece which is very much associated with Second World War Reconciliation, although, of course, involving the Wilfred Owen poems. And I'm wondering what tension you feel there to be between that very specific time-based centenary and what I gather to be a production which is very universal. And um, Plenty is going to say war is bad. I think that we probably all agree on that. But is there a tension between the very specific elements here and the more general presentation which you're looking towards? I think it's really a question for Martin and also for the design team.
1: I don't think there's a tension. No, I think reconciliation is absolutely at the heart of what we're trying to express, and what Britain was trying to express. And no, I don't. I really don't think there's any deliberate creation of those tensions. I mean, it's not always a comfortable experience. I think hmm. you'll you'll find either, as as we've talked about, some of the music is very very tortured and tortuous, and I think some of the imagery might for a moment shock and bewilder, but that's the same in in many of the things we see on stage and around us today. I mean, yes, we're really focusing on the hope of a better future. And I think that's not a bad thing.
2: And um, I think it was Daniel's um, idea to uh, start us off um, with a trip to Coventry to Coventry Cathedral, um, where we um, were around for the midday prayer as well. And, um, and we um, yeah, could witness the ruin and could witness the spirit of reconciliation, the spirit of hope, um, the architecture of modernity of the new cathedral. And, um, and there is this little side chapel uh, where there are different flyers from different organizations making peace work around the world. Um, and um, the whole visit um, um, resonated strongly with me, and I returned um, to Coventry a few um, weeks later. And so a lot of the imagery um, is actually derived from those visits. And uh, because it, it also made me feel safe, you know, like this is what. Um, Benjamin Britten thought about. He knew this is going to be premiered there. And this symbol of reconciliation that Coventry Cathedral has become ever since, um, that's, uh, we are all can be assured that's at the heart of war requiem. And so to have that in the center of stage through the imagery hmm. um, is. And, and I
8: can also um, add to that, that um, one, another, Another one of the reasons Daniel brought me um, discovered when he brought me onto the project is that my mother was a lieutenant and a naval lieutenant in the Vietnam War. My father was in the army um, in the Korean War slash Korean conflict, however you talk about it. My brother um, graduated from West, my brother-in-law graduated from West Point, so I actually come from a significant military background, and I marched against the Iraq War. So as far as tension is concerned, um, it. The, the Daniel and, and, and Wolfgang's vision and everything that Martin and Wolfgang just talked about is absolutely there at the center of it. However, there is a deep honor and a deep respect for the cost of lives, not just the, the people who fought and died, but the people who lost. Um, and we've also brought on a military um, a consultant, who is Nikki Moffat, who is the high, who was um, about five years ago the highest-ranking female in the British Army, and so we've we've really straddled that tension and tried to include points of view from all of it to really feed the heart of pacifism and reconciliation.
0: Thank you. Uh, th- uh, further qu- yeah, uh, uh, I you for the.
4: Just a little thing. <clears throat> I'd like to hear the tritone.
0: Oh, yes, good. <laughs> Thank you very much. Very good question. Thank you. You <laughs> think that's the
7: right key? <laughs> yeah.
1: These, this is the war requiem. Yeah. <laughs> you hear it very early on. It's the first you hear it thing you right hear. Right at the end. And that is, That is... I mean, it resolves nicely, mm. but it itself is the devil in music.
0: And unresolved and, and at the end, yeah. Doesn't, no, no, it
7: it doesn't it, no, it doesn't resolve.
0: It doesn't resolve. Well, you do it, on
7: it, it sort day. of does resolve at sort of the, the, end, end, the yeah. end, yeah. At the very it's end. A
1: while yeah. to get there. So, yeah, you'll hear this at very key moments in the piece. And it does, oh, it's always asking a question.
7: Often in the it's, bells, it's also, but also sorry. in
0: other... It's, it's also events. the interval that West Side Story is based on. Then the whole show is built on the triton as well. Um, <laughs> but, um, but it's, and the but Simpsons it same thing. Much more. Well. Yeah, <laughs> <and the, and laughs> I wasn't making a flippant comparison there, but actually, the, the, you know, there's a, there's a strong connection between Bernstein and Britain and Shostakovich and others. Apologies, the floor is yours. Continues to be yours. Was it always intended to include the Porgy chorus in this event, or was it something which happened this year as a nice addition? Hmm. <laughs> uh,
1: it was a fortuitous. Event. So, Porgy and Bess was planned, it was a co-production with The Met and Amsterdam. We had to recruit a, a chorus of 40 for Porgy, so when we were thinking about what to do this season, we thought, wouldn't it be a wonderful idea to combine the two choruses in this piece? So, yeah, I mean, it was a happenstance, but a very, very good one, and I think it's, it's proving to be a very... something we'd like to repeat, put it like that, <laughs> maybe in, in, somehow in the future. Interestingly enough, we just had an inquiry today from somewhere wanting to employ the Porgy Chorus elsewhere to do Porgy because they've heard how wonderful it is. I mean, they don't know that. But, I mean... Um, they um, I, They don't know we had the inquiry, and we hope it could work. But uh, the, the success of Porgy has travelled far and wide, and I'm, I'm sure you've seen it and loved it. So, yeah, you, you, it's, it's, it's been a wonderful thing for us to be able to facilitate Bringing them here, and uh, it's, yeah, fantastic.
0: Just uh, one thing I didn't, Rebecca, we didn't ask, and this is something you mentioned before, is just that there are more notes for the chorus to to, to learn in this piece than is conventional for the things that usually um, happen on well, stage. Is that true? Or is that, well, not well, necessarily no, more notes. The number of notes is the wrong thing. That no,
6: I mean, it, it, anyway. I, I found it very difficult to commit to memory because mm. uh, I suppose from an historic point of view, because you, you're used to singing it as an oratorio, which is in effect what it is. Um, And it, it, why has it been difficult to commit to memory? I think um, not that nothing I've sung before has not been emotionally laden, but this is a particularly, um, I'm talking personally, of course, but uh, uh, a special piece for me, and I think it was... I don't know. I, I, it. We've been stretched in in so many ways in in this production, um, good and bad, um, and it's been quite a tiring experience. Uh, not least because of the amount of people in quite a small studio space, um, but also trying to represent the. Ideal ideas from the creative team, but also to express it in a personal way. But it, uh, I, I, I'm getting there, just about. <laughs> I have to look at him quite a lot. Yeah, well, that's the idea. idea. That the yeah. idea. <laughs> I, I
7: might add that it's an, um, it's an incredible showcase for the ENO chorus, this piece. There are, of course, as far as I'm aware, no operas in the current repertoire where the chorus sing more than the soloists do. Um, which they do by an enormous factor in this piece. Um, they really are the, in the stars of the show, um, which, which is why it's such an appropriate piece to do in a place like this with such a fantastic chorus. Um, but um, it's an unusual thing for an opera chorus to be mm. that involved to that level yeah. in a production. I mean,
6: When, when we, we start on stage, that's it. We're there for the entire yeah. show. I mean, we might come, swap sides occasionally, yeah. but that's it. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's... It's quite been... a short show. <laughs> it
1: great. is, it really <laughs> is. I don't know what they call uh, really it. Really come on! Is. <laughs> um, uh,
6: but can I just add uh, of course what, what an enormous privilege it has been to sing with the Porgy Chorus? And its it's not like... Um, having 40 of our regular extras it really isn't mm. so um, it was extremely good fortune and for us to have this experience and we as a chorister and speaking for many of my fellow choristers we really hope that it can be repeated in something else because it is just I don't know why it is this so extraordinary but the, I mean the sound is like nothing else you will ever hear it is incredibly powerful.
0: Thank you all of you. Well, thank you for it. We can just give a huge round of applause to Martin, Wolfgang, (laughs) Jane, Sarah.